The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, November 21st, 2022, as we bring you a new episode. The non-tender deadline has come and gone as there were some surprise cuts by other teams. The 2019 National League MVP, Cody Bellinger, is now a free agent. The White Sox didn't make any big surprises, but Danny Mendick was let go, and he was a popular tender for those participating in the Sox Machine offseason plan projects. But now that we have a full list of available free agents, it's time for the Chicago White Sox to start shopping. One area of need is starting pitching, according to pitching coach Ethan Katz. With the 40-man roster now at 36 players, the White Sox also need an outfielder or two added to the roster. And are they still interested in improving at second base? We'll review the shopping list again. Also chat about the latest rumors concerning Jose Abreu and the White Sox coaching staff. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the Sox Machine podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Adam Engel, Mark Payne, and Danny Mendick were non-tendered. Are you surprised? Mark Payton, no, no, I, I was surprised that he was non-tendered because at first I thought like he's not arbitration eligible, and then I realized yeah he wasn't. They just used the occasion to uh, let him go, so you know that was the initial surprise. But I guess Mendick is slightly surprising. It would be more surprising if he didn't have the season-ending surgery. But I think you know the White Sox are looking at that roster spot, looking at the. You know, the fact that they have so many utility types on the 26-man roster and on the 40-man roster and saying, you know, you know, it's not so much a matter maybe of an extra $300,000 or whatever it is to uh, retain uh, Danny Mendick in his first year of arbitration. I'm thinking it's more a matter of, you know, at least I'm hoping uh, it's more a matter of like, let's take a look at this roster spot. Let's see if we can, you know, maybe inject some upside, inject some purpose because, Mendick had, you know, some strengths. I would say like he was a good defensive second baseman, but that's about it. Like in terms of strength, like he was 
adequate. He was okay, like he could cover shortstop all right. You know, he had some good weeks at the plate here and there. But in terms of like why you play him, it's kind of the same reason with Larry Garcia. You know, I'm thinking Yolbert Sanchez is kind of similar below him. Like you play him because he's not likely to be terrible. And that's not always a great reason to have a guy in the roster because you know, I'm thinking of the Earl Weaver line, like you always want to know why you're playing guys. He's strong against righty, strong against lefty. He's a good defender, great base runner. Uh, does he inject speed where you need it? Uh, balance handedness. And he didn't really do any of that. He was just kind of good across the board, okay across the board. And that's fine, but I think the White Sox just have so many of these guys that maybe they just look at the roster spot and say, even if he was okay or returned to the uh, his previous career norms, we might not need him anyway. And so they may as well, you know, maybe they feel like they're doing him a favor slightly by letting him pursue the open market rather than have him be one of five or one of six players who might be fighting for like two or three roster spots. Yeah, let's take a look at the White Sox step chart after the non-tender deadline. At second base, your options right now for starting at that position internally, Lurie Garcia, Lenin Sosa, Romy Gonzalez, and Jose Rodriguez. Those are the four second basemen, part of the 40-man roster. Outfield, Luis Robert. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, what about Aloy Jimenez? And what about Gavin Sheets? If the White Sox had to play a game tomorrow with this current 40-man roster, I guess you are looking at Gavin Sheets in the outfield. Maybe Lurie Garcia plays left field because the White Sox seem pretty set I keep it Aloy Jimenez as a DH, which is the right idea, and they should do that. I just don't think it's likely for the 2023 opening day, nor should it be likely for the 2023 opening day roster to have both Lurie Garcia and Gavin Sheets in the outfield, which means going into this offseason now, the White Sox are going to have to add outfielders since they cut Adam Engel, and maybe one of these outfielders is again repeating a process here where they're going to be taking one of their top 100 prospects and thrusting them into starting duty. And I'm talking about Oscar Colas. At this moment, Jim, looking at the White Sox budget, the free agent market, the trade market, I'm 90% confident he's going to be on the White Sox opening day roster, even though Colas is currently not on the 40-man roster. Now that Andrew Vaughn has set the precedent for running with a player on opening day and then waiting to see what comes after and not really sweating the uh, seventh year of control, at least at the start of a career, like, you know, Vaughn could be sent down for, you know, I don't foresee a case where Vaughn sent down, but like theoretically Vaughn could be sent down if he encourages, uh, encounters a rough stretch and the White Sox can regain that year of control if they have the urge. I think Byron Buxton had something similar uh, along the way, which created some uh, consternation between him and the front office as he was trying to figure out his plans beyond his initial period of team control. So there is that, but Vaughn, you know, is the precedent that we didn't have when it was Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal and Aloy Jimenez as guys who broke or wouldn't break uh, camp on the opening day roster because of service time control. So I, I do agree with you that right now he looks rather likely. And I think with you know, so far we've seen with Colossus that he doesn't have the injury concerns that Robert had, that Jimenez had, that, you know, just you could almost bank on something or 
feel like you know there's going to be a, a tweak along the way or a delayed start to spring training that holds him back the way we've seen with the other oft injured White Sox prospects so he does feel more bankable than most and I think you know when you're talking about a guy who's not going to hit free agency until like the age of 30 more or less uh, if everything goes well that's probably one of the reasons why they wouldn't be so inclined to try to claw that 70 year team control I do wonder though you know if they're talking about this this will be the first time if they are so inclined to strike a contract extension it would be the first time in the what we can assume will be the post Jose Abreu era of trying to maintain good feelings and such so you know perhaps that might be one concern that's there for him that wasn't for anybody else but uh, that's about all I got otherwise you know as you mentioned uh, with the uh, roster and Robert being the only true outfielder there they need somebody and and Colas is the only guy who really fits that bill of somebody who's you know, can cover multiple outfield spots and presents a case to be a pretty good hitter by the end of 2023. You still need a left fielder. And we'll talk about that in a moment. You probably want a fourth outfielder mm-hmm. unless you want to make Louis Garcia useful with this five and a half million dollars going into next season. Just don't have Garcia play center field. Oh God, that was terrible. <laughs> The White Sox, even if they do call up Coloss and he is their starting right fielder for opening day and he'd be cheap, $700,000. And I'm pretty confident that he's going to be now. You still need to add a couple of outfielders to your 40 man roster to fill the gap in left field and at fourth outfielder. When you're looking at second base, and I just mentioned these four out of these second basemen, who do you think is the front runner if the White Sox started the season tomorrow? I think it might come down to spring training. Like, I don't see any obvious cases for a starter. I think Garcia, unless like, you know, this is a case where like Pedro Griffal comes in and just has a different idea of how to deploy him and can present him as like the first line of defense at second base with a straight face, but also presenting some compelling plan Bs. Then I, I, I can see a case where like, yeah, Garcia is the opening day starter, but... You know, but there will be plenty of Romy Gonzalez, but, you know, he's going to be playing here and there too. He's going to start, you know, maximum three days a week because, you know, last the, the last administration where, you know, Garcia is not a utility player. He's a starter who plays every position is, you know, hopefully should be in the rearview mirror. Um, but I can see, you know, given that, you know, Lenin Sosa as, you know, overmatched as he looked in his brief Uh, cups of coffee at the White Sox. He has a history of struggling immensely in his first month or so at a level and then figuring it out. Like he did that at Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, Charlotte, briefer than others. Maybe the case of seeing major league pitching before Charlotte made that a bit easier, like uh, yeah, lowering the difficulty level some, but he has that history of the the light bulb flashing to life and, and all of a sudden like, oh, I got it. So I could see him being like a surprise spring candidate who comes in and takes the starting job and gets most of the reps. Romy Gonzalez, like we don't exactly know what he is yet because his 2022 was marred by a leg injury and then like a you know, persistent illness that he needed tonsillectomy for. So those two guys, I think, are unknown enough to where like if they had a in, in the White Sox, I should say they're unknown enough to where like I would feel fine if the White Sox brought in somebody to Uh, start ahead of them and made them prove their worth. But I could also see it being the case where if they don't add that automatic starter 
and they are casting an open audition. I would reserve some judgment for Gonzalez or Sosa just because they've shown a history of advanced minor league hitting and they have shown a history of figuring it out, and they each have specific reasons why they came up short in 2022 to where, like, I wouldn't write them off automatically, and I'd say, like, well, at least it's not Garcia, and if Garcia, like, wins the starting job back or wins, like, the four out of seven starts job back, like fine because he's you know garcia's flashed the ability to hold down a position for a month at a time before and so let's add ethan katz's comments about the white Sox pitching staff garrett crochet is definitely a reliever thank you ethan for settling that <laughs> but michael kopech's rehab is slowly progressing there is progress it's just not at the rate that they were expecting and they are hoping hoping at the end of spring training michael kopech will be ready to throw 85 pitches to be able to cover at least five innings. That's now the hope for Michael Kopech at the end of spring training. Not can he throw a hundred pitches and can we expect him to be a normal starting pitcher? No, he's not going to be at that level yet. So the White Sox, if they do not add another starting pitcher, uh, might be looking at having three and a half starting pitchers on their roster to start the season. Mm -hmm. Cats made it very clear. Jim, the White Sox need another starting pitcher. So let's revisit Rick Hahn's comments that the trade market will be more fruitful than free agency. We talked about right field, internal solution. We talked about second base, probably an internal solution. Guess what? You don't have enough starting pitchers in your farm system to have an internal solution with the starting rotation. So you'll have to add either in free agency or trade in that market. How can the trade market be more fruitful than free agency, Jim? For that kind of pitcher, for like the number four, number five pitcher, I think we're talking about, you know, maybe they surprise us with the Lance Lynn type again, like, you know, with the White Sox, they kind of needed uh, pitching depth or, or they could have made the argument for just signing uh, guys who ran the rotation, but they went and traded for Lynn. So I guess there's a precedent there in terms of shooting higher and, and uh, you know, a team that's you know, perhaps trading a guy who's, uh, you know, reaching the end of his contract. But there are a lot of, you know, decent Back end types on the free agent market. Um, you know, like I think of the bunch, I think Sean Manaya is my favorite just because he has that he has that untapped potential to me. Or at least he like I, I don't think San Diego uh his his performance there was quite right. Like they they talked about like mechanics being off, like his his velocity is fine, like he had some decent starts, but he also had some home run problems in San Diego of all places. And he's shown better. Like I shouldn't say he's untapped potential, but he's he's done better. Uh you know, for competitive teams. So I think there's something there still. Like Jose Quintana, yeah, I love the guy, but I think he's kind of a product of PNC Park a little bit, like a right a lefty throwing to a big left field. So I don't know if he would have the same kind of success that he had with uh, the Pirates. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a case where, like, you know, with White Sox fans talking about trading for James McCann, you know, buying low with a Yasmani Grandal swap. Like, no, just, just leave good White Sox careers where they were. Like Adam Eaton, you know, like... Should have left that where it was, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't go back. So that's kind of where I am with Quintana. So like among those guys, like, you know, there's, I mean, there, like there's Kyle Gibson, there's Corey Kluber, there's Michael Walker. There's a whole bunch of guys on the free agent market that I think would be fine, you know, more or less in that role to where like, I'd get it if they went that route. So I'm, you know, 
I think it would seem like if you're trading for guys who run out the rotation, unless it's like a blocked prospect, I know that um, the Dodgers were a popular trade partner in the offseason plan project because of the just depth they have and so many guys that are blocked. Like, sure, uh, have an audition. But I think, you know, if they're talking about just trying to find a fourth or fifth starter, mm -hmm. there are those guys in free agency. And they don't have to go, you know, it was funny that baseball prospectus list with the top prospects. Uh, I wrote about it on Sunday. Like there's a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of disagreements over the top 10 prospects when it comes to all these lists going out, like what order they're in, which is good in a way because that means there are a lot of interesting prospects or ones that are worth watching. It's bad in that like if, if the outside evaluators don't agree on like a top five, and that makes it like harder, I think, for us on the outside to say like this guy would definitely command this guy. Because if there's disagreement among the evaluators, probably disagreement among teams in terms of how much they actually like a guy or how much they think a guy is worth. So that's why I think, you know, when it comes to pursuing rotation upgrades, I, I think free agency is there for them that might not be for other positions. So again, I want to revisit what Rick Hahn said. The trade market will be more fruitful than free agency. On this day, November 21st, I do not buy that statement. That statement cannot be true. Because with all the holes that you have, and we just went through this, we we accept the idea that your right fielder in opening day 2023 is an internal solution with Oscar Colas, your number two prospect. Okay. If you're not going to upgrade at second base because there's just not a attractive second baseman on the free agent market, or maybe the Milwaukee Brewers want too much for Colton Wan, uh, who was my pick during the offseason plan project. Fine, you got four guys that could battle it out to be your starting second baseman, and you could even have a cheap solution at second base. Let's say you go with Lenin Sosa to try to play the boom potential. It could be a bust, but you're, you're trying to play the potential card. Okay, but you still need a left fielder. You need a fourth outfielder. You need another starting pitcher. You have really limited trade assets because you're keeping Oscar Colas. Other teams may covet him, but you need him now to be your starting right fielder. Are you ready to move on from Colson Montgomery? You just added Brian Ramos to your 40 man roster. So if you trade him, he's got to be added to another team's 40 man roster. So that complicates things a bit here. Going back to my tirade against the rule five draft and how much I hate it. But for the White Sox here, I don't understand Rick Hahn's comments because if if it's true that the trade market is going to be is going to bear more fruit than free agency, oh boy, we are going to be in trouble this offseason covering the White Sox because there may not be anything done by the White Sox. They're going to have to spend some money in free agency. And yeah, they may have to go shopping in the clearance rack at Target when you walk into the store and that's where they're trying to find another starting pitcher to get lucky again. But they're going to have to spend money in free agency, Jim. They, yeah. they really have no choice. Well, yeah, I guess they do have a choice because... I guess the choice would be not do anything. Sure, that's a choice. Or... Or just, you know, make make bad decisions, which is, you know, there's a lot of risk here. The the situation that they're in, like I, I looked at the Kyle Lewis trade, you know, the, the Diamondbacks mm -hmm. uh, Mariners like swap of damaged goods or, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, change of scenery trade. And I thought like, oh, that'd be kind of a fun trade or like, you know, if we were writing about it from the White Sox side, like that kind of swap. It's always interesting to write about like guy who reached the end of the line, bringing the guy who 
reached the end of the line with his team and trying to look for upside. Like, I kind of miss those trades, but the White Sox can't make trades like that because, like, they don't have the time. They don't have the roster space. You know, it's, it's a very high leverage situation we're talking about. Uh, and, and the thing is, too, like, you know, when it comes to the money and the payroll and everything like that, you know, dollars start melting off the payroll after the season, you know, with Lynn, you know, theoretically moving on with Grandal his last year of his deal. And then like after that, like, you know, you're, you're done with Moncada the year after, or you start getting to his player options if it truly turns out that like there's nothing there. So this would be the year to spend, you know, and, and, and I wrote about this thing like with Brandon Nemo, like say, like, let's say they go after him and sign him to an uncomfortably large contract. Like he might be making like five you know let's, let's say he's making like five six years 20 million 25 million per by his third year he might be dwarfing everybody else on the payroll you know it might be like a 90 million dollar payroll let's say if they try to have to retrench for a year and like you can afford that that's fine like you know if it doesn't go well it doesn't go well but i mean like you just have that payroll and you have a bunch of other young players who are coming up and like if you don't trade anybody and you, and you don't try to like build through trades you have all that prospect capital there to help uh, a retrenching yeah i don't think it's gonna be a rebuild like a full-scale teardown but just like uh, uh a regroup and trying to you know kind of like what the uh what cleveland did with the lindor trade just taking a year to, you know, I, I guess, reset the depth chart a little bit and try to regain some years of team control. I could see that being the path the White Sox go. And if they retain, like, you know, Colas and Montgomery and, and, and Ramos and, you know, you have one of the, you know, at least a couple of the pitchers starting to come up and look interesting, like, all of a sudden you have every everybody interesting, all, you know, everybody compelling, worth a shot there at your disposal, the way they were with the Guardians, the way the Guardians could like plug and play different guys and eventually come up with a team that was able to beat the White Sox earlier than expected. So that's why I don't think at this particular juncture, it makes trade, you know, I guess trades shouldn't be the priority because there is a chance, you know, and maybe the White Sox have some confidence that they will be able to redo uh, the 20. 22 season effectively and say like yeah you know we're gonna do a do-over with a real manager this time in a real working relationship with the front office and everything will be better and maybe they'll be right in that assessment but i i think given the leverage of the situation and just how important this year is and how you know serious questions have to be asked about like who the White Sox want to keep paying if it's more of the same. I, I don't think this is the year to ditch prospects that you might need to help flesh out a the, the next White Sox team, whatever it may be. Yeah, that's a good point, Jim, because again, you trade Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks could maybe fix one of these spots in a return, mm -hmm. but he can't fix all of them. And by trading Liam Hendricks, then you have to have an open competition who's going to be your closer Ethan Katz likes the idea of Ronaldo Lopez possibly being a closer one day in the major leagues as far as his stuff. Maybe he's the one that fills in the hole that Liam Hendricks leaves behind if the White Sox do decide to move Hendricks. But again, a Hendricks trade doesn't cover all the holes that you have, which now, again, if Rick Hahn is steadfast about this and he truly believes that the trade market is going to be more fruitful than free agency, does fruitful mean impact? Or just overall adding players? Because if it's adding overall players, Jim, this offseason is going to suck for White Sox fans because <laughs> there's so many holes right now in the field. And sure, you could run it back and hope that Pedro Grafal gets more out of your core than Tony La Russa did. But you can't even feel the team right now 
with the guys that you have. Mm-hmm. You can't. So you're already shorthanding Pedro Grafal, a rookie manager with, who comes into this job with heavy expectations that the White Sox have to win in 2022. This is where a GM's going to have to help. And maybe Rick Khan should have not said that and repeated that comment twice during the offseason. He should have just kept that to himself and should have just said all options are available on the table. The generic thing that all GMs say in Major League Baseball, because now after the non-tender deadline, his statement that the trademark is going to be more fruitful does not make any sense to me. Yeah, I guess there are a couple ways to look at it. With him mentioning that guys play out of position, I think he used the passive voice and like guys had to play out of position or guys were out of position. Like he didn't, he made it sound like it was something that happened to the roster rather than the roster he built. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, encountering with a real risk. But setting that aside, like he acknowledged it, like, you know, Andrew Vaughn should be a first baseman. Gavin Sheets had to be out there. Uh, as you mentioned, like the depth chart with Adam Engel being out, like you can't really field an outfield the way it is. I'm hoping, you know, glass half full, that that's kind of acknowledgement or just, you know, setting the table for Something being done. And, and you know, as you mentioned, Colas only covers one of those spots, especially if they are intent on playing Jimenez at DH more often than not, just because it seems like for his health and production, that seems like the way to go. Unfortunately, like, if there were no health issue, I'd be fine with him in left field. I think he's improved enough to be like, you know, shrug out there, like better than Andrew Vaughn. Like, you know, I think Andrew Vaughn shows us like the, the value of like, Jimenez having some foot speed that Vaughn doesn't have and what that allows a left fielder to do. But, you know, with the outfield being the way it is, like, he has to make a move. I I, I say that with a little bit of trepidation because the, you know, glass half empty is like, he doesn't close. Like, he doesn't really execute deals. He blames, uh, you know, the or he talks about, like, talks falling short or seats at the table or Twitter uh, ruining a deal. Like, he has a history of, like, only being able to really, like, acquire relievers and Lance Lynn that one time. And otherwise, it's just a lot of, like, small potatoes deals, one-year contracts that don't go well. And, like, when it comes to, like, auspicious uh, deals... Uh, they're hard to find on his track record among like non-pitchers, especially non-relievers. So that's what, you know, we just have such a rich history of following Rakan that sometimes roster issues that are very persistent and warrant acknowledgement from him, like DH in, in right field and second base the year before, like they largely went unaddressed and he had to say it all over again. You know, going from uh, Daniel Polka to John Jay to Nomar Mazzara to Adam Eaton, like just, you know, every year half measures that didn't get the job done. So the glass half empty is just like he doesn't do it or he sometimes just can't do it. He comes up short no matter how grave the situation is staring him in the face. I'm really not quite sure what to do. I, I think in this case, like, it does feel like the roster is more threadbare in certain spots, especially, like, starting pitching, left-handedness, the the, the, the handedness situation, the outfield situation, like, Colas solves one, but, like, there is that case of, like, who else? Especially if Colas, like, needs to go back to AAA for a little more seasoning. Like, that's a case where, yeah, they're just, something needs to be done in order to have outfielders who can actually field out there. The the depth is so shallow in, in really critical areas for the White Sox. And it's redundant in other areas. <laughs> yeah. So there are some trades possible. Like if it's about like P- 
picking a utility infielder to trade for like a blocked outfielder who might have some upside uh, to fill out a fourth outfield spot with, you know, maybe a chance to play in for more, especially if he's left-handed. Like, okay, I can see that trade being made. Like there, there are, there are some positions of depth here to where like, maybe it's a depth for depth trade versus like a depth for some other team's key prospect, which I think we'd much rather be talking about. Like I, I think when it comes to unlocking like a top 100 type or like a guy who could plug in and feel like pretty great about, like I think, as you mentioned, Hendricks seems to be the only one who might be able to command that type of player. Unless like somebody is really into Brian Ramos or Jose Rodriguez or somebody who might be uh, replaceable with the who the White Sox have right now. Yeah, sorry to be dour, folks, but again, it would, we have a complete list of free agents after the non-tender deadline. There's more names to be added. All teams are shopping, and now key players are having conversations with other teams. Things are speeding up in free agency. Before you know it, we're going to be in the winter meetings in San Diego in early December where big blockbuster deals are going down. So the White Sox, they have to be active. The White Sox front office has to be active because the other 29 teams are very active right now in getting their their preparations done, getting their offers to the table and try to sign these key guys. And if the White Sox, if the White Sox front office, if the goal in 2023 is to win the American League Central and be taken as a serious contender to win the American League pennant, they really have to change their behavior and they got to change their tune of what they've already shared out to the baseball public since the 2022 regular season has ended. Because I, ju- I just don't buy it and no one should buy that them making trades is going to be more fruitful than free agency. They have to do both. They have to make a key trade and they're going to have to spend some money in free agency because they got more holes on this roster than I think they want to admit. Speaking of making additions, the White Sox are adding to their coaching staff and Jose Abreu has a new team attached to him in free agent rumors. We'll talk about those topics after a quick word from our sponsors. The holidays are approaching, so it's time to start thinking about what you are going to gift your loved ones. And if you're looking for something to get even the hardest to shop for, look no further with a personalized coffee subscription from Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee makes it so easy to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love and fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. I signed up for Trade Coffee and I enjoyed my latest blend that I got from Metro, which is a local Chicago coffee roaster. Big fan of the dark roast. That's something I've been telling you guys. I'm new to coffee. I'm learning through this process. I'm a big fan of the dark roast. And that was a fantastic blend that we got from Metro. And Trade Coffee is the perfect gift for loved ones. They make it easy with their digital gifting options for last minute shoppers or their coffee and equipment bundles for something under the tree. I have a Keurig pot, but... We also have a grinder now, so I could either get whole beans or I could get them grinded for me through Trade Coffee. So treat yourself or the coffee lover in your life with Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off a subscription and access to a limited time holiday specials at drinktrade.com slash machine. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off. Again, visit drinktrade.com slash machine. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Daryl Van Scowen of the Chicago Sun-Times on Sunday tweeted that the Charlotte Knights hitting coach, Chris Johnson, will be added to new manager Pedro Grafal's coaching staff. Wasn't clear in the tweet what Johnson's role will be as he's getting the call up from Charlotte. Then our own James Fox found this LinkedIn scoop that Mike Tosar, the hitting coach of the Kansas City Royals, updated his profile to say... He accepted a job with the Chicago White Sox as a Major League Baseball field coordinator. All right, Jim, let's take a wild guess. What does a Major League Baseball field coordinator do? He possesses a better title than hitting coach, which might be what the White Sox had to give him in order to hire him away from the Royals while he's under contract there. Love it. You know what? This is the level of creativity the White Sox need to demonstrate in other areas of their operation. Yeah, that's kind of like what I'm thinking so far based on the fact that like, you know, you know, he hasn't been announced yet. The Royals had to grant permission, like especially a division rival. They have to sweeten the pot somehow to make it a more than a lateral move. Yes. And Tosar's got knowledge of the Royals hitters because he's been working with Royals hitters for many years. So I could see where Kansas City would be hesitant or Kansas City would require a trade if Mike Tosar was officially going to be the hitting coach, but Major League Baseball field coordinator. What a title. So what title does Chris Johnson get, and what will Chris Johnson be doing for the White Sox, Jim? Uh, you know, that's a question where, like, you know, if he's hitting coach, I'm trying not to be disappointed just because when it comes to the White Sox and hitting coaches, like Frank Menachino was the Charlotte Knights hitting coach. Although he was the Marlins hitting coach before then, there was a body of work there. Uh, Howie Clark, who was uh, Menachino's assistant hitting coach, was the Charlotte Knights hitting coach, although that was in 2020 that was canceled. So he you know didn't actually really do anything for the Knights there. But like they've been hiring from within for this position. And Johnson, like while he's... He's unknown because he was hired from the player ranks or like after he retired, like hitting coach for the Charlotte Knights, I believe, from what I can see, was his first like post uh, playing career job. Like he doesn't have the kind of body of work to know what might be some habits that he had in his previous job, what he what. He might have learned what flaws he showed they might be concerned about. So he's a little bit of a blank slate. 
He's had some, you know, good quotes. People have enjoyed working with him. He, you know, he seems to espouse the idea of doing damage in A swings and B swings and like getting your A swing off when it comes to, you know, trying to, you know, hit for power. A problem is like Charlotte, where they play, you know, the the, the insane numbers there, the, the the most hitter friendly environments in the international league. Like that makes it hard to know like how much a hitting coach actually contributes to that. But like there are some reasons for him to be like, you know. I guess a compelling hitting coach candidates, but it's also just a little bit like disappointing if he's the guy and Tosar is really not so much a hitting coach. Like he's more removed from that and his, his responsibilities are more broad because like they actually did have to sell him on it to, you know, take the job. Although like, I'm not ever sure, like he was the number one hitting coach for the Royals. I think he might've been an assistant. So not quite sure if that's the exact explanation, but I'm just trying to figure out like why that might be the case, but yeah, it's, uh, there are some other strange, like uh, in Texas, like they made Will Venable, the associate manager, which is a title <laughs> I didn't know about. So that's under Bruce Bochy. So if the White Sox are massaging some job titles to be, you know, either uh, new kind of amorphous positions or ones that might be a way to try to protect or, or lure candidates over with a, a shinier title. Like they wouldn't be the only ones doing it. Yeah. Following the trend again, I enjoy this level of creativity. If you really wanted Mike Tosar that bad and there's complications of a lateral move over to become the white Sox hitting coach, making up a new title for that loophole to get your guy. I'm good with it. I just want to see this level of creativity used elsewhere in the operations of the White Sox. We'll eventually learn who else is rounding out of the White Sox coaching staff. Are you a bit surprised that here we are coming up to Thanksgiving that this hasn't been settled yet, that we don't know the full coaching staff for the White Sox? Not yet, just because when it comes to the other coaching staffs, like I looked it up just to see if I missed anything, and neither Miami nor Texas nor Kansas City has released a full slate of coaches themselves. Uh, the Rangers, I think, are still looking for a pitching coach. I think the Royals are too. So like key positions have not been filled by the other teams who hired managers earlier. So there's that. Uh, also for context, I looked back when Tony LaRusso was hired and they didn't announce the full slate of coaches until December 1st. And then Miguel Cairo was leaked before then and Ethan Katz was uh, a known pitching coach before then. But when it came to like rolling it out in total, um, that wasn't until December 1st. And I thought some of the delay might have been because of Tony LaRusso's legal status, <laughs> given that he had the uh, the court date hovering over everything. And I remember like the Tigers announced their pitching coach, Chris Fetter, uh, under A.J. Hinch, their new manager beforehand and made it seem like is is LaRusso missing out on coaches or are the White Sox missing out on coaches because uh, – a potential hire might not be sure who he's going to be coaching for. So I remember that feeling delayed, but in this case we have a number of other teams who have not made similar announcements so far. So it does seem like as much as we want to know, and as much as like, I want to know whether like Daryl Boston's coming back because God, I hope not. I want to know what I need to complain about is kind of like how I'm approaching this right now and, and kind of dig into it. So yeah, it's, a little bit impatient, but I don't think there's anything uniquely White Sox right now about the way this is being handled or the way it's being rolled out. Yet. Yet. Not White Sox like yet. We'll see what the rest of the coaching staff is. And as Jim mentioned, uh, we may be waiting till December, but we got a couple of scoops here. Chris Johnson and Mike Tosar are being added to the White Sox coaching staff. 
And then finally for this episode, John Morosi of MLB Network tweeted earlier this week that the San Diego Padres have made Jose Abreu a priority this offseason. Of course, San Diego. I guess if this does come to fruition, Jim, it'll be better to watch Jose Abreu hitting with San Diego than, let's say, the Houston Astros. Yeah, I, I think so. It's a little bit of a uh, case where like he almost gets to live the alternate reality that White Sox <laughs> fans have been thinking about with like signing Manny Machado and making the trades they made and and, and keeping Fernando Tatis. Like just you know, all the moves that have tied the White Sox to the Padres throughout this rebuild process. Like he kind of gets to go over and see what it's like, uh, see how the other half lives, whether the grass is greener, all those metaphors. So yeah, I... I didn't really have them on my list because I just had them bogged down with first baseman, just with Eric Hosmer being there and with Will Myers uh, not really having a place to play or just kind of, you know, kind of trudging through his contract extension. So I just thought, you know, not necessarily that they had plus first baseman, but just that they didn't really have, like, they had too many guys to kind of cycle through there to make the room. But I guess with Hosmer now in Boston, I guess they can sell Abreu maybe on that position that wasn't there before. I think Luke Voigt is also gone. So they, was he non-tendered? I think he was non-tendered. So yes, uh, they had some guys who were clogging up that uh, position that are no longer there one way or another. So uh, I, I didn't update my mental depth chart for the San Diego first base uh, situation. And for that, I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. Luke Voigt was not tendered by Washington. Voigt was part of the Josh Bell. Okay. And, uh, Juan oh, that's Soto. right. And Bell's a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Bell was clogging up the, uh, uh, you know, first base previously, but yeah, now he's gone. Uh, Hosmer's gone. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's more freed up than it was. It, it would be kind of fascinating because I, I thought that Jake Cronenworth was going to be eventually the first baseman for San Diego because they got Kim at shortstop, but he's really good at shortstop. He's better than Tatis Jr. defensively. But maybe the idea is that San Diego still believed that Tatis Jr. was their starting shortstop. They could move Kim to second base and move Cronenworth to first. Jerks and Profar is a free agent. Maybe one idea is Tatis, when you come back, you're playing left field. Mm-hmm. Kim could stay at short. Cronenworth could play second. And if they sign someone like Jose Abreu, well, that's your infield. Again, it would break my heart because I have so many fond memories of Jose Abreu. But if he signs with San Diego, I hope he enjoys that alternate reality that so many of us, as you mentioned, Jim, wished we were living in for the White Sox. And I hope he appreciates it. And it makes the last series of the regular season interesting because that's how the 2023 season ends for the White Sox. Again, it'll be San Diego visiting Chicago this time. The, the one thing I'm looking at when it comes to just him and his potential locations is like Petco doesn't seem like a great place for him to hit. Like, I don't know if you're going to be getting like the Jose Abreu 20 homer guy. And when you look at their home run output last year, Manny Machado was the only guy to hit more than 20. So I would think the guy they would hope to have play first base but would be more of a lock to provide that kind of power than Abreu seems to be. So that's one reason why I'm a little bit surprised to see him. But, you know, he is a good player. He does have a, a wide range of hitting skills and they struggled in the average department too. Like they hit 241 as a team. Like they could use like just good hitters, I think, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, so, and, and Abreu provides that. So there is reason beyond just the home run total that Abreu makes sense. But, you know, Houston was kind of front in mind. Uh, Red Sox were there just because of, you know, left field, how Abreu could use those left fields in uh, Minute Maid Park and Fenway to his advantage in the way like, you know, the uh, just the symmetrical play of 
guaranteed rate field didn't really benefit him much anymore. It would seem like he might need that extra help to get that home run power back in his bats, but I guess I'd be watching him in San Diego for that purpose to see, like, was it something with him or was it something with just the way the White Sox went about their business and not getting that kind of home run power, but it would be watching from afar, certainly, because uh, those are West Coast games. And, uh, you know, not naturally as easy to flip over when you're watching the, uh, you know, whenever White Sox game is getting slow. That is true. We'll see if this does come to fruition, but that is the latest rumor for Jose Abreu's free agency, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, again, the door's not completely shut for the White Sox at Jose Abreu, but it, it's pretty close. We know that it's very likely he's going to be signing with another team, and it's still worthwhile to follow where Jose Abreu could possibly land for 2023. And then one final note, Jim, Ken Rosenthal wrote for The Athletic that Justin Verlander and the New York Mets are talking we made that prediction in our last episode. We might get a free agent guess right. Yep. No, it's, uh, I, yeah, I could certainly use one uh, just to get on the board. Like, I, I don't mind that no matter how obvious it might have been or like how uncreative I felt saying it. But yeah, I don't mind uh, notching a uh, an early victory. I should say, too, I want to add to the rumors that there was that um, tweet from Logan Jones, who was in the Arizona Diamondback strength and conditioning program in their system that he's coming over the White Sox. So add that into the White Sox uh coaching and general player support staff of changes that are rumored to have been made or ones that should be announced whenever the White Sox do their whole wholesale announcements. Uh, there are at least three names with Tosar, Johnson, and uh, and Logan Jones. Good call, Jim. I forgot about Logan Jones making that public announcement. We're getting there. We just have to patch it together. We're just waiting for the final press release to see who is the complete roster as far as coaches and trainers and see if Daryl Boston's on man, man, if he makes that list, Jim, that's four managers. Yes. Uh, for the base running and outfield guy for the white Sox who are known for their base running and superb outfielding among other reasons, you might not want to hire him, which, uh, you know, is, too depressing to go into. He's only got one guy to coach right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gotta love it. That's the current state of the Chicago White Sox. Again, it's still early in the off season, but things are going to start moving pretty quickly here in the next couple of weeks. General managers are going to have to work through Thanksgiving and Black Friday as we may see some free agents sign pretty soon. And again, as we, the full circle here with this podcast, the White Sox have to be active in both markets, the trade and free agency to fill these needs. Maybe the White Sox are waiting for the Black Friday promo code before free agency. <laughs> Don't like these sales. Let's wait till Cyber Monday. Yeah. And then and then green whatever and small business Saturday. Maybe we'll find some guys. Yeah, the White Sox are kind of small business Saturday to me. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Anyways, that will do it for this episode. <laughs> of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. And you can also follow us on Twitter, as long as Twitter still exists, at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can support us at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. 
The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.